And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm down to dunk. And I'm down to dunk. I'm down to dunk. This is J-Dub, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Shea Gibbs Alexander, and I'm down to dunk. This is Lindy Waters, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Mike Muscala, and I'm down to dunk. This is Jay Will, and I'm down to dunk. This is Kenneth Williams, and I'm down to dunk. This is Lou Dort, and I'm down to dunk. We say this is Lou Dort, and I'm down to Dort. <laughs> this is Lou Dort, and I'm down to Dort. <laughs> Welcome to Down to Dunk. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. We're part of the Athletic Podcast Network. With me today, special guest on the pod. We don't do many special guests on the pod, but for this guy, definitely. Nikaias Duncan, a basketball news in the dunker spot. Nikaias, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Also, fire intro. That's <laughs> tremendous work. That is tremendous work. Thank well you. done. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's one of my favorite things to do every year. So I used to have to chase Thunder players down back in the day. And I would, instead of sitting in on the media day interviews, I would just walk around chasing players, trying to get them on our intro to just say funny stuff. And now the Thunder players come to me and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I don't know why you're doing this. (laughs) funny how it feels out. So you had a piece about Josh Giddey that came out, I believe, was it last week or the week before? Within the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, And it highlighted a lot of the improvements from Giddey. So just to get a baseline here from December 1st Giddy's 17 points per game eight and a half rebounds six assists 2.7 turnovers 50 40 90 shooting splits so you did detail his growth uh at basketballnews.com you should go check that out if you're listening to this right now just pause go read Nikaisa's piece then come back because <laughs> it's very good um but what have, what kind of growth have you seen from Josh from his rookie season to this year Uh, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me and kind of what I wanted to highlight in the piece was just how aggressive he was when he did decide to drive. Because, like, eyeballing gives like, hey, Josh is getting to the rim a little bit more. This is interesting. This is a a point of emphasis that needs to be focused in on. Like, I think to unlock the passing ability that he has, he has to be able to get two feet in the paint. And so watching Thunder games, like, okay, it seems like he's doing this more often. Let me look up some numbers to see where it's at. And so it was a little bit of surprise to see that his just the pure drives per game number was down for him. But I think even with that being down, the amount of drives that end up with him getting two feet in the paint have increased. Yeah. And I think that's kind of been the biggest swing. Like, it's easy to focus in on the jumper, which he does look a little bit more comfortable firing from deep. In, uh, in particular, uh, still not a elite knockdown shooter, though. He's had a nice run as of late. But I think him being able to access the paint has been the biggest thing that stood out for me. He looks stronger. The handle's a little bit tighter. And with him being able to kind of drive past, like help at the nail and really get downhill, teams have to account for that. Like, even if it's not all the way at the realm of challenging to be, instead of taking those floaters from 10 feet out, now they're coming from like six or seven feet out. 
And that little bit of a difference matters as well. Like it makes it easier for him to get to that little push floater that he showcased in his rookie year as well. Um, it just feels like he's doing a better job of accessing, accessing fruitful areas of the court. And that's his high, uh, accentuating the rest of his game. Have you noticed uh, ways that he's getting there that are different? Because it just felt like defenses were able to stop him. And like that's part of why he took those like 10 foot floaters and like the free throw line level floaters where it's like, okay, it looks like you can't get inside the certain radius of the paint. Have you noticed anything different, like specifically on how he's getting there? Uh, I, I guess put caution on myself for saying different. Cause I, the thing I always have when I'm watching film is like, okay, is this standing out because it's worked mm -hmm. and now it's just focused in on my brain or is this really different? Sure. I will say something that's popping more for me now. It's like, more of the half spins he's doing a better job of using the shoulder and absorbing contact that way little shoulder bumps just to generate a few inches of space and then he can kind of square himself and get into that floater so i think just overall physicality and just maybe some of those half spins and shoulder bumps i think is kind of pertinent for him mm -hmm. yeah no i think that makes sense and and just like knowing nba defenses too like helps like just getting two and three reps against every team helps a lot and he's mm -hmm. a Obviously, a super smart player and a guy that understands the game at a pretty high level, even for a 20-year-old. Um, but yeah, his improvement has been, I, f I feel like, has been the thing that sparked these wins, mostly. Because when Shea goes out, early on in the season, it was like, all right, like where do we go? Like, what's <laughs> going to happen here? It's probably not going to be good. And since then, there's these stretches at the beginning of the fourth quarter where it's just... Shea, or it's just giddy out there with Shea on the bench and most of the time Jalen Williams is with him and they've started to kind of create some separation from teams during that stretch and you know Giddy's ability to not only fit in with Shea but then control the offense himself has been pretty astounding in recent weeks and I'm, I'm so curious to see how it continues on the rest of the season because it's uh he's playing at a really high level he <laughs> To think he could be a 50-40-90 guy, and he's done it for 22 games. And so it's like, okay, that's a pretty good sample. Like, that's not that's not like five games. That's not like, yeah, it's not. But I don't know. Like, how, how real do you think the shooting stuff is? Because it is, it's, it's a limited amount of threes. It's definitely a limited amount of free throws. But still, he's knocking them down. It's like, what do we do with this? Um, like, for me, it's just going to be a combination of what does the volume end up reaching? Like yeah. the comfort level again has increased from last year for sure, but like how far does that go? Um, particularly from deep, and with that, at what point do defenses start doing things differently? Because I think that's when the real shift comes. Because if he starts generating like actual hard closeouts at some point, yeah, this is an OKC team that already leads the NBA in drives per game by a very wide margin. And so they are very intent on let's get downhill, let's drive and kick, let's keep these defenses in rotation. If Josh Giddy is also just a consistent threat to do that and he's the best passer on the roster, like that's just going to open up more fruitful opportunities for everyone else. Um, I think the spot-ups can become pretty real. Like I think the work with Chip, like you can see small uh, shifts in what he does form-wise from last year. I think that helps. Uh, you talked about the free throw shooting. I want to see him get to the line a lot more than he does. Yeah. Like, that hasn't really moved. I think free throw rate is actually down for him this year mm -hmm. as well. So, like, I don't really have touch questions for him. So, like, I don't anticipate that dipping off too far. Um, but, yeah, it's mostly just going to be, okay, where does the volume land and when do defenses do anything differently against him? He's still seeing unders and pick and roll. Like, when he does get a closeout, it's very much a short close. They're still daring going to take jumpers or pull-ups. And so it's good that he's countering with, okay, forgive me this, I'm going to take it. 
but the defense has to bend for it to become the real Josh Giddy star turn two, three years from now. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's right. And that's – they're waiting on that for a lot of players. Like, Lou Dort shot really well from the corners, but some of it's that, like, teams are like, okay, we'll let Lou Dort beat us. And if he does, we'll shake his hand and we'll move on. Uh, same with Jalen Williams as well. Both of them probably, but really the wing Jalen Williams is like, okay, if he's going to shoot a three, great. We know he's been terrible from three this year. So we're going to let him do it. Mm-hmm. And really it's, it's Isaiah Joe that like strikes fear into the hearts of other teams. Yes. But like, this is like a bit player. This isn't a guy that, I mean, maybe he sticks around, but it's more than likely that he doesn't. Um, I mean, you look at from the corners for the Thunder, like Lou Dort's 47%, Josh Giddy's 45% from the corners. Like those are great numbers. Um, Dort's obviously shot a lot more from the corner than Giddy has, but if he can hold anywhere close to that in the 40s from the corners, like that's that's a shot that as they continue to build out the roster, that will be there for him. And so I'm just curious. Like I, I'm kind of with you. Like let's see, let's get more volume. Like do this more. Like it's great that you're succeeding right now, but let's keep going. And you have Chip England there. And it's like, I don't know, like maybe he did just get better. Like maybe the, the little <laughs> tweaks that they made made him a better shooter. Um, I don't know that it it's it would be wild if they turned him into Steve Nash over the course of like what what feels like four weeks, but um still his improvement has been really fun to watch. It's been fun. And again, as long as that continues to branch out, like that's just gonna unlock what we know about Josh Giddy. Like yeah. we know he can whip passes to either quarter, whatever he wants to. We know he can throw no looks, the interior feeds are there. All he needs are for defenses to open up those windows for him. Yeah. And as long as he continues to be aggressive, like he's shooting well from three right now. If we do have another 10 game stretch where he's now like 27% from three, will we see the, the, the attempt decline as well? Like you don't want to see that. You don't want to take a bad shot, but you want that confidence to kind of maintain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Tristan Gray in the chat asks, how much of this is his added strength from last year? That's something that I've noticed. He's uh, wilting less when he gets bodied. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think that's a big part of it. That's something as I was kind of scouring for, Hey, what did he say during training camp or during the off season? Like that's something that he pointed to. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he dealt with what a hip injury towards the end of the rookie campaign yes. for him. Yeah, that's right. He said a big part of his off season was getting stronger and kind of strengthening that area. But I think that helps getting the stronger lower body. Like those bumps don't affect him as much. And again, if he's doing more lifting, some of those shoulder bumps, they move players a little bit more, and then that just increases the shot window for him. And I think it makes him easier, makes it easier for him to get those interior finishes off. So I think that's a astute observation. I think that is a big part of why Giddy has been more effective getting downhill this year. So as of this morning, the Thunder are tenth in defense, according to NBA.com, which is just kind of wild. They have no traditional rim protector. In fact, it's hilarious to watch six foot six Kenrich Williams jump center for them. And I remember the first time that he did, they all kind of looked around at each other as if like, they didn't know like, okay, which one of us is supposed to do this? Like, how are we supposed <laughs> to start this game? And Kendrick is like, yeah, I guess I'm supposed to be the center in this lineup. And he goes and he loses the jump because the guy that's jumping is, you know, a foot taller than him. Um, Naturally. But how, from your perspective, like how has Mark Degnall gotten a top 10 defense out of the youngest roster in the NBA and like one of the smallest, at least interior uh, presences in the NBA? Uh, it's going to be a very boring 
answer, but like sometimes boring is the best answer. Yeah. They nailed the little things. Mm -hmm. This is a team that does not let you get out in transition. They get back on defense. And for a young team, if you want to look at a Western Conference example, like watch the Thunder after a missed shot and watch the Rockets after a missed shot. And it is night and day in terms of how quickly they match up with folks, just even when people aren't matched up like where they are, like making sure, okay, there's not going to be a straight line to the basket and then I'll find my guy on the wing or whatever go out there. They nailed that. I uh, was looking it up this morning. They are number one per clean the glass in terms of transition frequency allowed. Mm -hmm. That's unheard of for a roster as young as OKC's is. Yeah, youngest in the league. It's crazy. And so, like, just off rip, you are in the half court all the time against the OKC Thunder. And when you think about their shot balance on the other end, like, they drive to the basket a ton. So that's a lot of shots at the rim. That's a lot of hope. The ref didn't call the foul. Now this guy's on the ground. So it's a lot of five on four. And they are still able to navigate that at a high level. That's That speaks to coaching. That speaks to the players buying in. And that right there sets them up. Uh, you talked about them being 10th in defense. Per clean glass, they're 5th in half-court defense. So not only do they make you play your set offense, they're really good there. And want to give a quick shout-out to my guy Mark Schindler, who wrote about OKC's defense from a scheme perspective last season. Yep. And he talked a lot about just how they swarm and how aggressive they are in taking away the paint. Um, it was kind of funny watching the Nets game. And like early in the first quarter, Kyrie Irving gets a right-wing three because Lou Dort helped off on a drive. And my first thought was like, why are you helping off of Kyrie? But I was like, well, this is consistent with what OKC does. If there's a hint of dribble penetration and it feels like someone's getting beat, they are sinking in at the nail. Mm -hmm. The guy in the low corner, he is sinking in. Like, we will trust that we are fast enough and disciplined enough to close out and run you off the line or just contest your three and make you uncomfortable. But we don't want to give up fruitful shots at the rim if we can help it. Mm -hmm. And so, like, because of the size, like, they still give up some pretty fruitful, uh, fruitful looks from there. But just from the perimeter end, like they make sure, no, you're you're making passes against us. We're going to make you uncomfortable. We're going to swipe at your dribble. We're going to force turnovers and get out and run. I think they're seventh in transition offense in terms of frequency as well. So this is a team that can force turnovers and push. And so the collective speed, the collective swarming, I think, and the emphasis to take away the paint when they can, I think that's where you lead into why OKC is as stingy as they are. And then obviously they also have a bunch of charge takers as well. So like yeah. shout out big Jalen Williams, who's been getting some run as of late. And yeah. he, I think he led all the college basketball and charges taken. Yes. At least he did among bigs mm -hmm. in his last year there. And so when you add all that together, they're just a disciplined group. They're a fast group. And that makes them incredibly annoying to play against. Yeah. And that's where, you know, Sam Presti's draft strategy is also helpful is that, you don't have size for a position at at the center spot, obviously. And some of that is injuries. Some of that's like, – we we know what it is also. Like, they, they just haven't really wanted to fill the center spot since the rebuild started. Like, they had Derek Favors there, but, like, Favors was, like, not really in the rotation all the time. So they, they didn't really want to fill that spot. And now they're waiting on Chet. It's great. They're going to fill that position with him. But you have size for a position everywhere else. From the guard mm -hmm. spots – you know, Jalen Williams has a 7-2 wingspan. Like, those things help so much. And then you just have Dort, who's just, like, a maniac as a defender. Um, Dort is kind of an interesting character in all of this because he gets lost a little bit when we talk about, like, building the team out and who's going to make it and who's not. And you talk about future starting lineups. He's probably the one that, like, consistently gets left out. But... Just talk a little bit about the value that Ludort brings as a defender, because I think sometimes it's 
obviously he has got tremendous effort, but maybe it's not always as easy to see the kind of value that he brings. Uh, I think just the way that he burns the clock for you defensively, I think gets undersold. Cause like, it's easy to see the energy. You see him flying around. He's getting induced jerseys, but like he's starting to pick up at half court and sometimes mm-hmm. higher than that. And even if he isn't getting the steal or drawing a charge, or it turns into this one-on-one highlight that you post on Twitter, like look at the clamps, like, an offense starting their set with 15 on the clock instead of 17 means so much in the NBA. And just that little bit of deterrence, that little bit of irritation kind of bleeds into the overall theme of OKC makes you work. Hmm. And just draining time for you like that helps. You already have to play against them, their set defense all the time because they get back in transition. And then you add in the ball pressure that Lou Dort brings on the ball. And again, he can get the hands in there and strip you. Like he can draw charges. He can get you with the occasional block as well. So there are tangible own ball things that he does that shows up in the box score. But just disrupting the rhythm of your offense, I think he's one of the better ones in the league at just doing that portion of it. And then once you add in the collective length, collective speed behind him, it just makes it tough to generate good looks against OKC. So I think that value is there. Off the ball for Lou Dor has always been a little shaky for me. And like mm-hmm. that's kind of what's kept me from going with, okay, he's a top five perimeter defender in the sport. And I think you kind of have to focus in on, okay, this is what he does on the ball. Yeah. Um, but overall, like the impact is still very much there. He does a lot. He sets the tone for this OKC defense. Yeah, there's no doubt. And the front office loves him and the coaching staff loves him. And they kind of let him burn through mistakes at times just because of the point of attack stuff that he offers. And the and the offensive aggressiveness isn't always a welcome thing, um, <laughs> but they're going to allow him to work through that just because they believe in the guy and they believe in the player. Uh, his finishing at the rim has definitely been a sore spot. But I think there's going to be less possessions for him moving forward and the corner threes and the transition stuff are going to kind of keep his offense alive. And hopefully he can see that, you know, that these other guys need the possessions and that he needs to kind of play this kind of boxed in role, um, Mm -hmm. at least offensively and then defensively, like just keep being a maniac and, you know, that's going to help this team. Yeah. It's kind of, I guess Dylan Brooks-esque in a way to where it's like, okay, this guy works so hard on yes. defense. We we will let you live with some of the stuff on offense. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That And that's where I just want to, like, grab Mark in the hallway and be like, Mark, listen. <laughs> I want you to go watch Memphis. Like, I know you're watching Memphis, but go watch <laughs> Memphis a little bit more because, like, you have the opportunity to keep this guy from becoming this. Okay? And Dylan Brooks is great. <laughs> like, I like Dylan Brooks. I like him. I like what he brings. I love the energy. But, like, you don't want Dylan Brooks 2.0 on this team. Like, box box the guy in. Just just let him know. Like, corner threes, open line drives to the hoop, transition. Like, if we can keep him to that, I think he's actually, like, a, a very helpful player because like he can make corner threes. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the process, especially next year, because the the possessions that are available now will just be gone. And so I'm just, I'm very curious to see what that looks like. And also willing to like give the benefit of the doubt to the coaching staff and to Dort until those things happen. Um, But there are, there's, there's good moments and bad moments. It's just like Dylan Brooks. It is just like Dylan Brooks. And I don't want it to be like Dylan Brooks, but it is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's talk about Shea. It's, it's a, it is almost like, it's Thunder-esque to wait this long to talk about Shea 
because it sometimes <laughs> feels like that in a game today because it's like, oh, you know, Jalen Williams did this and we got these guys doing that and look at the way that Kendrick's playing and it's like, oh, yeah, and Shea's got 35 and 5 again, you know? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I don't know how he did it. Um, what are your thoughts on how he's improved his game and and how he continues to rise? I mean, every year he shows up and he's better at something. Um, what have you noticed about Shea overall this season? Uh, well, let me make the apology very early on. It's going to be the very first uh, pub of the podcast here. Uh, but on the early episode of Dunker Spot, like one of the things I uh, harped on this season was like, I love Shea Gilders, Shea Gilders Alexander offensively. The defensive effort that I saw from him last year was unacceptable for yeah. a guy that I've seen defend well. Before. Agreed. Yeah. And it was like, okay, I understand like, in general, it doesn't feel like a lot of people watch OKC. They see the record. They see the picks that they have. It's like, okay, well, they're just tanking, whatever, which mm-hmm. that's an entirely different rant. Not going to go down that road. Yeah. It's like, all right, fine. But I think because of that, he was underrated for what he was doing offensively for OKC, but a bit overrated because you see 6'6", dude, that's athletic. Surely that means he can defend. And like right. Shea just wasn't doing that. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that popped from me very early on this year is like, oh, no, the effort is here. Or the effort is back, rather. Yeah. And that's been such a bright spot for me because that dude can switch across multiple positions. Like to see him switching onto bigger players and just digging into their base and they can't move the guy. And if the guy tries to turn, try to take a turn around, Shea stripping them. It's like, this is what he could be doing all the time. Like mm-hmm. I'm not calling for an all defensive spot for Shea. And like with the offensive load he has to carry and some of the spacing that he's had to work with, like it's unrealistic to expect him to do that for 95% of the game. But like, there is a wide spectrum between the effort that we've seen from him this season and what we saw last year. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that that's perked up, that's been the biggest thing for me because offensively we know about the driving or you should know about the driving at this point, yeah. not just in terms of volume, but in terms of style, his ability to decelerate his ability to get guys off balance for him to create shot windows out of nowhere. He gets to the line a ton because people can't stay in front of him, yeah. which is interesting because it doesn't feel like he ever gives in the fifth gear. He doesn't have to. Yeah, no, he's he kind of boogie to his own spots. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the driving has always kind of been there, and it's been just as good this year. Um, the mid-range scoring gets perked up. Seems like he's really leaned into that more this year as compared to last year. The efficiency has been kind of off the charts for him in terms of the blend of volume and who's guarding him and the attention that he shows. So that's been great, but it's been the defense for me. Like it's been such a pleasure to watch that dude dig in on defense again. Yeah. The, the moment that it was like, Oh, there was an early game against Orlando here in OKC and it was a close game. And the way that he guarded Franz Wagner at the end of the game, it was like the attention to detail that he knew which shoulder Franz was going to try to get to. And he stopped him from getting there. And that was like, oh, okay. Like, it's, it's different this year. You're, yeah. you're really trying to dig in. And I asked him about it. And he said, like, he just is watching League Pass every single night to learn tendencies um, from players. And I was like, that's – I mean, and, and it was there. And it's attention to detail for Shea that I think has helped change. It's willing to expend energy on defense and then attention to detail. And I was like, oh, okay. Wow. Like, he's <laughs> – He's really going for it. And that's what makes him like an all NBA candidate to me is like on this team, like Mark wants everybody, you have to defend, but he can't take Shea off the court. Like he can take Trey Mann off the court if, if Trey is not giving good effort or really anybody else. If anybody else, but you can't just rip Shea off the court for having yeah. poor defensive effort. But Shea's doing it anyways. And that's been really impressive. 
Um, discovered the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, <laughs> I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Have you thought about all-star spots and where you would have Shea? Have you thought about him as a starter or a guy that should be coming off the bench? What are, what's your thought thoughts on like the West guards? Um, I had him. It's funny. Like I think we're gonna do like a all-star redux in a week or so. Yeah. Um, on the pot, so I have deeper. I have a more firm lineup for me. Um, but like. First draft, he was very much uh, one of the backup guards for me because I think I had yeah. Steph and Luca, sure. and so now with Steph missing as much time as he has, like that's going to become okay. Do I slide him into the Steph spot because he's been <clears throat> like Steph was playing at the MVP level before he went down mm-hmm. um, earlier in the year, and like Shea has been, you know, he deserves to be on your MVP ballot in terms of playing, but like he had wasn't playing as well as Steph was. So like yeah. that's kind of he's very much the third guard for me. Like yeah. I don't know how hot take it is to say like I think he's been better than Ja this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when you factor in both ends. But, <clears throat> like, I think at minimum he's, like, third guard in the West for me. Yeah. And probably second if we factor in the injuries played right now. Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. Uh, I want your your thoughts on Mark Degnault. He's, his journey is unusual. 
He's super young. He's 37 years old, had a very non-traditional route to the NBA, but he's got this team playing a pretty consistent and mature brand of basketball. Uh, I just wanted your thoughts on, on Degnault and the job that he's done. I think he's done a really good job. Like I've enjoyed <clears throat> watching him build the system. And again, like you gain a greater appreciation for like what Mark has done with his OKC team. When you look at some of the other rebuilds that's going on in the league yeah. and not even, not even Houston, which seems to be like the very low end right now. And I hope they are able to get that together uh, mm-hmm. structurally, but like even with like Orlando, who I don't think is doing a bad job at all, but like you can just kind of see defensively like, Oh, these principles are locked in. And it's difficult to do that with a young team one. Yeah. It's difficult to do that when a young team, when you don't know how available your best player is going to be. And mm-hmm. he's had his own effort stuff too. It's tough to do that with a young team when you don't know if your star is going to be available and you don't know what your lineup is going to be <laughs> on any given night, period. <laughs> and so yeah. for there to be so much roster flux for Mark Dagno and for this team to be as young as it is, to be able to build a coherent system on both ends of the floor is highly impressive to me mm-hmm. and then you add in like some of the atos he draws up they're pretty good stuff and you're doing that with a limited pool of movement shooters so like even if you want to spice some things up teams can be like okay well i'm not worried about that guy we'll just switch this the fact that he's still able to draw up some fun stuff i think kind of speaks to the acumen and again defensively building a not just a coherent defense but a good one without a true anchor in the interior is not an easy thing to do and yeah. he's been able to do that as well and even offensively, like you're seeing more experimentation, like something that's popped for me. I don't know if you've uh, talked about it uh, often, but like using Shea as a screener, yeah, it seems like that's perking up more. And it's like, huh. Mm-hmm. And we had a, a, a mailbag question come in earlier in the year asking about that. It's like, you know what? That's that is interesting. Just using him as a goal screener, just using him as the pick and roll screener, period, where he's yeah. setting the heart and when and going. It's like, okay, if you can get your best player to buy in like this, like that speaks to how much trust and faith that he has in the coach. So I, I think Mark has done a really good job. Yeah, early, it, it happened like really early on too. It was Trey, Trey Mann actually had a really nice start to the season, and he has had a honestly a very strange season since about like the third week. But early on, it was Trey Mann setting up the offense and SGA setting a screen for him. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is <laughs> the greatest thing. I love this so much because it's because then the defense is like, what? Like, how are we supposed to like, operate with Shea either popping out or rolling to the rim? Or, like, what are we supposed to do with this? And then you have Trey, who, if, like, Trey can put it all together. Trey is such a fun player because, like, the step back is ridiculous. Step-back merchant, man. Oh, my gosh. It's so much fun to watch him. I, he's the one guy that I always think has, like, way more inflated stats than he does. I'll watch him play. In my brain, every one of his shots goes in just because it looks so pretty. And mm-hmm. I, then I'll look at his box score and he's taking like 10 shots and I'll look at it thinking like, Oh yeah, he's probably got 15. He's got like six points on like 10 <laughs> shots. I'm like, Oh man, this is not it. Um, That's how to get you. He's got me. He's got me every time. But yeah, the, the way that everybody just seems to trust him because he, the, the lineups that he uses are so wacky. And then like guys will come in and out of the lineup. Like Aaron Wiggins is a, He's a good He's good. Player. He's a solid player. And there's just games where he doesn't play. And there's games where he starts. And you, you know, I see Aaron in the locker room and I watch him interact with the other guys. You wouldn't know. Like, you wouldn't know if he was in or out of the rotation. Like, he just behaves the same way the whole time. Even Darius Baisley, who's been a guy that's been 
not that he's outspoken. Like, he's not an outspoken player. There's really no outspoken players on this team. They're all so young and a lot of them happy to be here. But if anybody was going to be, like, he's in a contract year. He's got a, he probably wants to find another team. But when he gets up there at the podium the other night after being out of the rotation for a while, he's like, yeah, this isn't about me. It was never about me. You're like, wow. Wow. Like, if I were you, I'd be super pissed because, like, Mark's costing <laughs> you possibly millions of dollars because last year you were, like, the token starting forward. And now, like, you're not in the rotation at all. And, like, this bit piece and a guy that doesn't seem to fit in. Um, and he's come back and he's played great. Like, he gives great effort and he's trying offensively to do different things. Um, and I, like, have to credit the coaching staff and Mark and their leadership and, and Presti. Just like wow, like they they've put together like a culture here that's actually kind of special, like under the radar kind of special. Yeah, it feels like <clears throat> there's been so much outside noise. It's like it's an easy logical leap to make. It's like okay, you have a young guy that's this good, you have these many picks. At what point do people get frustrated? Yeah, like okay, you have Shea, you have Josh Giddy, you have Jalen Williams, you have Trey Man. Like okay, there are only so many on ball reps to be had here. Mm-hmm. And, depending based on the other picks that you have like you'd probably be in the lottery at some you'll have so like when do you kind of bounce it down like i think some of that is fair to ask like in terms of roster balancing how do you do that but something that uh my co-host steve harps on all the time like buy-in is one of if not the most important thing you can get as a coach like before you get into the x's and o's and the plays that they call in different schemes or whatever you have to have buy-in because if you don't have the buy-in none of it matters and so it it's telling that mark and as you you know touched on earlier, his unique path and how young he is, the fact that he's been able to level with all of these players, the star guy on the rookie contract deal, the star period, the lottery picks that may factor in more down the road, the guys like Lou Dort who have just made it, the veterans that have come through, like Derek Favors, the fact that you can mix all of that together and not have any real like public smoke at all. Yeah. Like it speaks to the culture that's been built and the trust that everyone seems to have in each other and it's been fun to watch them like now they're they look like a play-in team right now and so it's been fun to kind of see some of those early fruits of the labor with that so Jalen Williams J-Dub the wing the one from Santa Clara all the qualifiers (laughs) on Jalen Williams uh he's been really good for OKC so far what have you seen from his game and then what do you think he needs to do to reach his ceiling uh I think the one word I would use to describe Jalen Williams is relentless. Hmm. That is a guy that drives with real juice. That is a guy that will pick you up full court and defend with real juice. Um, not ready to call him a high level on ball defender yet, but like the want to is definitely there. And I feel like that's a big part of the battle. And so like watching him dig in on both ends has just been fun. And he basically got to run point at Santa Clara. So like yeah. he has some of those pick and roll reads, like, Sign me up for any wing six six or taller that can make pick and roll reads. Like yeah. that's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's just where my eyes go immediately. As someone that doesn't super follow the draft closely, like if you if that's our darker type, like all right, I already you already have an in. If you're good too, then I'm I'm a fan of yours for life. It feels like, yeah. But um, the fact that he can handle those secondary reps, um, and attack down, get downhill and make skips from there, like it's a, he's a lot of fun. So I've enjoyed watching him play this year. Um, you touched on it earlier. The shot for Jalen is really yeah. going to be the big thing. Um, he's seen more unders than I anticipated. 
and the results just haven't been there. Yep. Again, it, it helps that he doesn't seem scared to take those shots. Mm-hmm. But I think to similar to Josh Giddy to unlock everything that he can do. And one of the reasons why I love Jalen long terms, like <clears throat> we talked about Josh Giddy and how he's improved in terms of getting to the rim and how that's still going to be a thing that he has to continue to work on and improve. Jalen Williams can just get to the rim and snap. Yeah. Like he doesn't need a screen. And, and so like everything. when you have that kind yeah. of baseline, it's easier to kind of branch out the rest of your game. Like, okay, I can get here. Now I need to work on the craft or now mm-hmm. I need to make sure I keep my head up to make these passes. If this guy skipped to the corner, um, sinking to the corner early, like now I need to be eyeing the wing if I can get this pass. Like the get to the rim part is the hardest part. I feel like yeah. with young ball handlers, the fact that he has that from day one, that bodes well. And just the general want to be seems to have on both ends. Like, I think the sky's the limit for him. Um, but if the shot unlocks, I don't know what you do. Because, like, even if he reaches full potential, like, you're still anticipating Shea's going to be better than him. Yeah. And so, like, if he's your second guy or if Josh Giddy continues to prove, if all three of those guys are playing together, you can only allocate so many <laughs> good defenders to those guys. Like, Shea's going to get your best guy. And from there, it's like, okay, well, Josh Giddy can craft his way to spots against your second best defender or third best defender. And Jalen Williams can just get by your guy. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to kick off a chain of, th- chain of things. So I think it's, it's mostly going to be the shot for him, for me. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Uh, okay, we'll, go to, we'll do one more question, then we'll let you go. This is from the chat. This is Yanni wants to know, where does Nikias have Josh in the 2022 class? Ooh, I just I actually want to write about the 22 class a little bit because I feel like everyone got so spoiled by what we saw in year one. Yeah. And so now that multiple players haven't jumped into 28, seven and five, now everyone just thinks apparently. And it's just like, what are we? (laughs) It's been driving me crazy, honestly. What are we what are we doing? Like (laughs) Scotty Barnes hasn't made the star leap, but he's gotten he's gotten better in some areas. Evan Mobley hasn't made the superstar leap yet, but he's gotten better in areas. Josh Giddy's gotten better. Anyway, to answer the question, though. Uh, I guess this is the 21 class, not the 22 class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think. Like, I guess five. Like, I, I want to make sure I'm not forgetting anyone because, like, yeah. I think I think Franz and Evan Mobley, in whatever order you want to put them in, like, I yes. think they've been the two best in the class. Yes. Like, I'm still high on Cade. Yeah. Um, but he just hasn't been healthy, so like, I don't really know what to do with that. Like, mm-hmm. if I was redrafting, like, I would. Like I would take Mobley ahead. Mm-hmm. I would still take Scotty Barnes ahead. I would still take Kate ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would take Franz ahead. So I think, mm-hmm. assuming I'm not forgetting someone super obvious, uh, ooh, Jalen Green would be the guy that would be super obvious. Like I would, I would probably go Josh over Jalen, and that's more so just I love big passers, and yeah. Jalen isn't that. Yeah, and less about like I think Jalen's gonna be really good. And I again to the Houston point, I hope some things improve structurally so we can really get a clean developmental slate for Jalen Green, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Because I think that's hampering him as well, in addition to his own flaws he has to work through. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess Josh would be five for me and then Jalen six, assuming I'm not forgetting someone. I should mm-hmm. probably just pull up the draft list <laughs> to no, make sure th- I'm not I forgetting I mean, I think players. that's it. I mean, then we're already in, like, the Jonathan Kaminga range, um, Shangun, Trey Murphy. I mean, those are, like, the next guys up, I guess. Okay, yeah, Shin Goon, Trey Murphy, like Herb Jones is in the class, been an yeah, up and down year for him, but I still love him. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I guess I think five sounds about right. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, we'll let you go, Nikaias. Thank you so much for joining the show. If you're not listening to the Dunker Spot, you're just a dumber basketball fan because um, <laughs> if you listen to the Dunker Spot, you're going to become a much smarter basketball fan. So go listen to the Dunker Spot. Go read Nikaias at basketballnews.com. And then you can follow him on Twitter 
at Nikias NBA. Did I miss anything, Nikias? Uh, I don't think you did. Okay. I appreciate the shout out and thank you for having me on, man. Anytime I can talk thunder without uh, Steve giving me the stink eye, I'm down <laughs> to do so. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, we appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.